Today, we're going to answer some questions like, how much do doctors have to hate Donald Trump in order to save the lives of pregnant black women? Or, is it okay to take over some land and make your own country if you're about to get holocausted? Or, can we find a reason or make up a reason why all these woke companies are going to get less woke? Well, that's the kind of stuff that's coming up on this episode of the Anti-Woke Podcast. There's a couple um, race stories in the news lately. There was a black man who died at the hands of a fi- or died while in official custody in Virginia, and they charged, I think, seven sheriff employees, like deputies or something, and three hospital employees with second-degree murder, so ten people. Luckily for America, eight out of the ten were black, so, you know, we're not going to... Things are not going to go up in flames. Now, we haven't seen the video, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, the prosecutor hasn't released it. But, I don't know, that was, that, that was, you know, that was big news for one or two days, and then I think we've moved on. I mean, there must have been people who said that this you know, internalized white supremacy or something, but I'm sure those people said it, but I didn't, I didn't hear them say it, so if a tree falls in the woods, I'm starting to lose the count, but it seems like, let's see, two out of the four big shootings, you know, the past big shootings were Asians, I think one of them was black, and one of them was white, so that was messing up that narrative. You don't hear the, the white man mass shooter narrative quite as much. And now we got two in a row of black men dying in police custody or whatever, dying because of something cops do. Uh, two in a row, but all the, almost all the cops are black, or they were all black in the, the other one. And I'm sure woke people across the nation did not reevaluate their hatred of whites and their belief that white men do the mass shootings and racist cops do the killings. And I was watching NBC Nightly News on YouTube yesterday, Sunday, and um, Spring Breakers at, I think, South Beach, some city in Florida, they had their spring break party thing, and uh, how to describe it, Uh, they were going apeshit. And uh, the Spring Breakers, they're all black, uh, like, I don't think they're college students, but they're, they're the age of college students. Or men who would like to have sex with someone the age of a college student. And they were twerking on cars and breaking out the windows while people were in it. Or, or you know, they had videos of this. Going into some sort of restaurant or something and just throwing everything they could get their hands on around. At least one person got murdered. I think it was more than one, but don't quote me. But it was interesting because... You know, this is NBC News. They're showing you all this video. They don't mention anything about race, but you can just, you can see the video. You can, you can see who is doing all that, who's destroying this town, kind of. Or at least, you can see who, who the racial makeup of the people in the videos who are destroying stuff. Maybe the town is fine. I think they're not real happy about it. But the mainstream media, I mean, they know you're supposed to not cover black crime. Uh, that's... Well, that's racist, I guess, to cover it. So the interesting thing was they followed that segment up with a thing about um, black women dying in childbirth. And so the stat was 
rich black women die in childbirth more than white women of any income bracket. And so they did an interview. They got a black female doctor up there. They said, why do you think this is? And she goes, it's racism. And my understanding is that, well, you know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're going through childbirth, it's not good to have high blood pressure. So that means being, you know, being overweight is not good. And I don't know a ton about it. I didn't look into it a lot, but apparently high blood pressure is worse or more dangerous for pregnant women than it is for just, you know, a normal person walking down the street. They got like pregnancy, hypertension or something. Anyway, there's, there's, you know, they got names for what happens when pregnant women have high blood pressure. So anyways, this person, this doctor lady, you know, she wasn't a doctor like, she wasn't a research type of doctor who studies deaths in childbirth. She was just some doctor who was black. That was how they, that was how they chose her. She was some doctor who was black and was willing to say, this is caused by racism. That was how she was chosen. And so I'm just going to be keeping an eye out on my NBC nightly news watching to see if they show some black crime followed by a false accusation of racism. If like, if, if that's the new uh, MO. Let's do some more detail on the childbirth mortality segment. The first half of the segment is they're interviewing this woman, a black woman who had a kid. And her story was, she's 41 years old. She and her husband are both lawyers. She's pregnant for a while and she's feeling really tired. She goes to the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, you're pregnant, of course you're tired. I think this is over a period of months, but it gets worse and worse until she's like immobilized almost. And then she does what I do and would do. Uh, you know, she goes to the internet for the second opinion because the doctors ain't helping. And I think the internet says that she's probably anemic. And so I think maybe she has to fight with the doctors a bit. But anyway, she gets the doctors to test her for anemia. And it turns out she's crazy anemic and has to spend like two weeks in the hospital, maybe IVs, stuff like that. And then I think, you know, maybe months later or something, she gives birth to a son. And I think that part's actually fine. So I guess, you know, childbirth. It's mother, I don't, there's a, there's a term for this. It's not childbirth mortality. It's not mother mortality. But anyways, pregnancy mortality, there's a better term for it. But anyway, so, you know, you, if you die while you're pregnant, then you're counted also. But the questions I had that obviously they did not answer is, first off, being a lawyer doesn't mean you're rich. I mean, some of the richest people are lawyers, but, you know, you get a law, a law degree from some crappy college and chase ambulances, you know, you're just going to be middle class, not even upper middle class necessarily. But if this lady was a rich lawyer, I'm sure she's aware of accusations of racism against doctors and hospitals. And if you're rich enough, you can, you can choose your doctor. And so, you know, she would choose a black doctor, basically. So if that lady actually was rich, then I bet you her doctor was black. And then there have been, you know, stories talking about disparate outcomes, different outcomes, you know, between the races and various hospital things for years. And usually what they say is that doctors, 
what do they do? They, they treat pa black patients differently. They, I guess, you know, the classic thing that supposedly they do is that they don't take black pain seriously. Like doctors think that black people can handle pain more than white people. So you don't have to maybe give them as much meds or it's not as critical a situation. And I think they've done studies that kind of back that up, but of course, you know, if you do if you do a study on racial stuff and doctors and whether or not they take black people's pain seriously, if the result of your study is that they take it just as seriously as white pe as white people's pain, then obviously you shut down that study and you don't publish it. So, it's hard to say what the truth is, but there are studies that say that that is the case. And so, you know, maybe it comes down to 50% of the difference is obesity and blood pressure, and 10% is doctors' views on black pain, and 40% is unknown. I mean, you know, if someone did a real study where they're just like, wherever the truth leads us, like those are the kind of results that they might possibly come back with. And let me tell you, I haven't, I haven't heard of that study. Like the thing, the, supposedly the reason they were doing this whole segment, they're like, for the first time ever, you know, we knew that, you know, racist hospitals were killing black women, pregnant black women, but for the first time ever, we've broken it down by income, which is a pretty darn simple thing to break it down by. Uh, anyway, they were, they were quite proud of themselves. And, you know, they didn't, you know, I, guess, I guess, you know, where's the segment where we broke it down by income and obesity levels? Anyway, they're not doing that. But it's this thing that is going on in, you know, quote-unquote science where differences in outcomes prove racism. You know, like the, the one that I like to talk about is um, blacks are 13% of the population, but they're 33% of unarmed civilians killed by police. And so, you, you know, the mainstream media, like, that's as far as they go. That, that's the end of their math, and they go, America's racist. And they don't, and they don't like check, you know, any other numbers. Like, oh, they're 33% of the unarmed civilians. You know what? They also commit 33% of violent crime. Why do those numbers match up so well? And of course, the end result of all this is it it hurts black people. You know, like you can see the amount of violent crime you commit is how much you get killed unarmed by cops. So, if you really want to lower that number, then you just just need to. Lower the amount of violent crime committed by whichever group it is that you want to reduce the number of cop encounters. And if black women are dying from pregnancy at disproportionate rates because they're obese or maybe, you know, maybe because they have high blood pressure, you know, maybe doctors, I mean, here, basically, here's what's going on. Doctors probably should get the word that, uh, you know, if you have a black woman who's pregnant with high blood pressure, you, you probably need to get her on some blood pressure meds like right now, you know, until she gives birth. But instead, what doctors are told is, it's racism. You know, go vote Democrat. Trump is a racist. There, you've done all that you possibly can. There's nothing left to do to help black pregnant women at all. You've done everything you can by hating Donald Trump. Free speech was attacked at Stanford Law School last week. Law school students who were members of the Federalist Society, which is the right-wing thing for law school students, they're most famous for having a list of potential Supreme Court justices, and Trump said, I will pick from that list. And he did. 
but they invited a uh, Fifth Circuit judge to come and give a speech. The Fifth Circuit is the one that has uh, Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. They're kind of the they're the right wing um, appellate court thing, one level below the Supreme Court. And so, I mean, I heard I heard like maybe there's like twelve right wing students or something at Stanford Law School, you know, and then. I guess hundreds or whatever of other students who ain't. But so the judge got up to give his remarks at some auditorium and a whole bunch of whatever, woke tards, a bunch of left-wing students went there to disrupt the speech and they were yelling at him, you know, we, we hate you, why are you so racist? You know, I think someone said, I hope your daughters get raped. But, I mean, I think, whatever. Whenever the Federalist Society brings someone in at a law school, because law schools are so crazy woke nowadays, like it's one of the absolute wokest parts of, whatever, the whole world. And yes, these are the people who are going to be in charge of the world, right? 90% of politicians or something are like lawyers. I made that up, but anyways. It's more like 90% of, you know, senators and U.S. House of Representatives members are lawyers. You get to the local level, they're, they're not all lawyers. Your dog catcher is probably not a lawyer. But anyways, they shouted him down. He couldn't say anything, really, because of all the noise. And like I say, everyone knows that this could be an issue. There's a history of incidents like this at law school. People are aware. And so a bunch of deans of this deans of that basically what uh bureaucracy stanford law school bureaucracy people went there to kind of oversee it or something and he looked at all the the adults in the room and he said hey can someone give me a hand here these people are going crazy and yelling too much and so the the dean of diversity equity inclusion got up and pulled out a <laughs> written speech like she was ready black lady naturally and not skinny. And you can go on Twitter and watch videos of all this stuff if you care. But her prepared speech was like, whatever. It was an attack on the judge. She said, you know, students, you should calm down. Even because this guy is an evil racist doesn't mean that you should yell. And just, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of the gist. And Stanford, on, the, you know, on their bylaws or whatever, says that they... Whatever, free speech is of paramount importance. And in fact, I think California has a law that says private universities that take, I don't know, money from the state have to have free speech. So just, whatever. If you, if you, look, at the, if you, get, if you look at the written, written down stuff concerning free speech and Stanford and blah, blah, everything says free speech must be upheld and... Um, you know, and shouting someone down does not count as, you know, that, oh, that was just my free speech. You know, me telling, me yelling at this guy, his daughter should be raped, is me exercising my free speech, just like he can try and talk over me. Anyways, there's a, there are limits to free speech. I think it's called, I think it's called like time, place, and situation, or something like that. So two people on the sidewalk can yell at each other all they want, but uh, if you rent out an auditorium, you should be able to talk. And then if people want to protest, you know, they should do it, like, silently. Anyways, there was somewhat, well, I think mainstream media first off ignored it. 
of course. But there's was, there was a decent amount of criticism online about against Stanford in this case. People, people, people did not take the students and the DEI ladies uh, side. And then the dean of Stanford Law School, I think the first thing she's like, ah, mistakes were made. And then people are like, that's a, you know, mistakes were made by who? What the hell kind of thing? Like, that's not an apology, blah, blah, blah. So the next day she came out and apologized to the judge. And then I think a bunch of students are like dressing in black and I don't know if they're holding up signs or whatever, but now they're following around the, <laughs> the Stanford dean, you know, to shame, you know, shame. It's like Game of Thrones if you saw that. Shame, shame. Except they're doing it silently to tell her that she's being shameful for taking free speech over whatever. Even though, I mean, like, you know, the D, you know, if it was me, I would fire that DEI lady. That's the first thing you need to do. And then punish those students because they broke the, whatever, codes of conduct. But I don't think they're going to do any of that. But so they, whatever, Stanford Law ends up with eggs, egg on its face. And some number of these incidents will possibly make universities start changing their, you know, how many DEI people they're hiring, you know, because the DEI people, they don't have anything to do other than to make basically false accusations of racism and try and destroy the institution from the inside and etc. So, you know, I'm sure, if, I'm sure a few high up people across the nation and universities are like, huh, you know, I don't know about these DEI people. I don't, this is not gonna. This is not gonna be the turning point. Obviously, do we need ten more incidents like this? A hundred? Maybe we need a thousand incidents like this, which will take the next three hundred years. But there you go. We got one out of the thousand that we need. And another judge on the Fifth Circuit Court. He is. This exact same thing happened at Yale Law School. Yale is the. They're the best. Stanford's top five. And the same thing. Basically, all, a lot of the top law schools have had the same incident. Um, Anyways, and so one high up judge, he said, I'm no longer gonna take um, law school graduates out of Yale to be a clerk, which is like being a high up judge's clerk is, well, that's what you do if you wanna become a high up judge later in your life. And so that's, that's a little bit of fighting back. Um, if all the judges started doing that, that would mean something. But so far, once again, we have one. One out of the thousand judges we need to do this stuff. I heard several non-woke people on various podcasts say that the students from Stanford Law should not be hired. Like The way to fight back is everyone should look at what they did and then when they graduate, not hire them and that would show them and then that would put a stop to it in the future, which I think is a pipe dream. Um, I heard I guess someone did an article on big fancy law firms in Boston and basically big fancy law firms are getting rid of people who don't toe the woke line and then there was that banking crisis uh it has continued since my last podcast more banks have somewhat failed or been somewhat bailed out etc including a really big swiss one credit suisse although i think credit suisse has been on the ropes for like a decade or something so and um, the Slate Money podcast guy, he was like, of all, you know, of all the weeks to pick to finally fail after a decade of problems, you had to pick this week. And I mentioned last week, but so people have been trying to say that the banks are failing because they're woke. You know, like, hey, 
other banks quit being so woke look what happened to these woke banks who failed and that would be nice if it was like that clean i mean that would be sweet but you know basically it's interest rates and apparently banks are not ready for interest rates uh, someone was breaking down the total liabilities like all the all the small banks have lost like two trillion dollars because of the interest rate change and then the the four big too big to fail american banks uh they also lost two trillion dollars, so whatever. If you, if the government really did a full-on bailout, it could be the to the tune of four trillion dollars, which would be pretty crazy. Seems like failures don't happen on the weekend, so I'm I'm recording this on Sunday. We'll see. We'll see what happens starting on Monday if it continues or not. And I listened to a couple guys arguing over whether or not wokeness could be you know, a partial cause, you know, any, any amount of the cause of the failure of these banks. This is the non-zero podcast with Robert and Mickey, which is kind of a left guy and a right guy. It's a really good podcast every Friday night. But, uh, so the right guy, he's like, you know, whatever, they're arguing. What's your evidence? You got any reason to be able to say that it was wokeness or could possibly be wokeness? He's like, well, there was this, I forget what it was, a bridge or an overpass or something that they built in L.A. And somehow they made it so that all the people in charge, all the high up, you know, I guess the construction company people or the engineers or whatever, everyone who was high up involved with this project was a woman. Like they did that on purpose to show how great women are at construction or something. And... Anyways, they didn't build it right, and then it's just been a, a nightmare for the years since as they're trying to fix it up and repair it and blah, blah. So basically, they didn't choose the most qualified people. They chose, presumably, the most qualified women, which is not the same thing. And so this ain't proof, but these banks, I mean, Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, that's like the wokest place on the planet. Um, obviously, they're not choosing people based on how good they are at their job every time, or maybe rarely. But then someone was saying, at least with Silicon Valley Bank in particular, what, you know, they don't, they don't deal with normal people who just go in there and they're checking accounts much. They almost, they almost only deal with companies. And so in Silicon Valley, as I was saying, but you know, these are all the startups, just like all the other companies, the startups are all super woke people. And so, Silicon Valley Bank actually made more money. They were more, you know, until, until the whole thing crashed and burned, they were more successful because they were woke. Because then the, the startup founders were like, I love this bank. They're just as, you know, they're fighting systemic racism just as much as I am. And so that gave them a leg up on getting the business of all these woke businesses. And so the way capitalism is supposed to work is, you know, some company that's not woke just fills itself with you know probably super qualified white males and uh and then they crush they crush it and the and the other businesses that are woke go out of business and then all you're left with is the non-woke ones but um if every single company is woke then that doesn't work you don't you know if people are afraid to be the non-woke one then that kind of puts the kibosh on that and then there's also this idea like, well, okay, if every one of them is woke, then, you know, the Chinese companies or the German companies will eat our lunch and then we'll, 
and then we'll have to change our ways. But I think even a woke American company is, you know, better at their job than um, Chinese and German and blah, blah. And I looked up the word woke on Google News, so, you know, what's, which is mainstream media. I'll tell you what, there's a ton of freaking articles about the word woke right now. It's probably the most ever. Um, you know, not, <laughs> all the articles are woke. Woke people writing articles about the word woke. But um, and those here are like, you know, this bank did not fail because it was woke. But kind of, you know, you can, but if you, you know, denying stuff is not, does not always get the desired result. I mean, you know, you can imagine tons of articles saying Joe Biden is not senile. And then, you know, you see a bunch of headlines about how Joe Biden is not senile and you start going, you know, maybe before you hadn't thought about it. And then you're like, wait, is Joe Biden senile? So I think you get a ton of articles saying that wokeness is not to blame for this failure, you know, Disney and the entertainment industry, blah, 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 all these failures, all these articles saying how wokeness is not to blame, people might go, wait, what? Are we sure? I didn't, we, I didn't know that wokeness was on the table as a possible cause of their failures. And then what exactly is going on here? And, you know, and then your own predilections may fill in the blank from that point. And then in the movies, um, the Marvel movie, Ant-Man 3, doing terribly so that's good i think i think they're pulling back even more on all their woke marvel stuff that they were planning on doing they've i guess they they had they said this thing was going to come out on this date and anyways they've taken back dates they're like okay it's coming soon i think they've, they've switched from dates to coming soon for like every disney plus marvel thing or something anyways they are they're rethinking something Wokeness? Something else? We don't know. And the number one new movie this year, or this week, is uh, Shazam 2, which is a superhero movie, and it's it's a flop. It's a flop. Making like $30 million, I think, in the opening weekend, which is bad for a... I think it costs $100 million to make. Just bad for a superhero movie. Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is considered a big flop, made 110 so 30 You can You get the idea. And unfortunately, uh, Shazam 2 was not set up as a woke movie. It wasn't like everyone was talking about this woke movie, and then, will it succeed or will it fail? And, you know, and then if it fails, well, that's a black mark on wokeness. Uh, anyways, they didn't have that thing going, but it did fail. If, they had that, if, we, if the people had had that narrative going <laughs> before the movie came out, then we could have had another uh, feather in our cap. But... That wasn't going on, but still, it is pretty... I'll tell you what, that's a hell of a diverse movie. I think it's about foster kids who uh, become superheroes, so it's maybe, I don't know, like five or six foster kids who can turn into superheroes. And then, I mean, you can just imagine the foster kids. I think they got, you know, I think they got a, they got a black, a Hispanic, a Asian... They've got girls, they've got a gay one, and they've got a disabled one. And the bad guys, there's three of them, they're all women. One Asian, one Hispanic. And of course, this movie was probably, who knows, they might have started filming it the day after George Floyd was murdered or something, so <laughs> they probably didn't have a lot of choice back then. But anyways, you know, they, um, 
I haven't seen the breakdown for this movie, but you can find the break the racial breakdown of the movie going audience and uh, whatever. If they thought the Asians or the Hispanics or the blacks or the whites were gonna any of those groups were gonna save this movie because they had some of that kind of person in there, well, that didn't work out for them. And I just also want to say it's one of the foster kids is like a you know I'm sure. Hopefully, hopefully the actress is over 18. She's probably 25. But anyways, one of the foster kids is like a smoking hot, you know, white girl. You know, you know, like like you see in a movie. And I just don't think that's what the foster system is full of. Oh, and you know what kind of movies are not woke? Christian movies. So I, I think I mentioned, but Jesus Revolution is a Christian movie that's it's doing well, you know, it's a small movie, low budget. Compared to its budget, it's making a lot of money. It's doing great. And it makes me want to explain cinema score. So, you know, if, you, if you're trying to figure out if a movie is good before you see it, you know, you can go to IMDb or you can go to Rotten Tomatoes and look at the scores they got. But I guess what the movie industry actually goes by and what is considered to be the gold standard, the actual reliable, whatever, ranking of a movie, is this thing called CinemaScore. And they're a company, and they send people to the theater, and then they, you know, they, they ask people as they're leaving the movie. Like, they just watch the movie and they're leaving. They, uh, they give it, like, a, a, B, I guess an A, B, C, D, F. I mean, B-plus is, like, that's a, medi- that's a medium, that's a low-medium movie. So anything below B-plus is bad. But I imagine it goes all the way down to F. Basically, A plus is great, A is good, A minus is getting a little iffy, but you probably can still enjoy it, and then B plus, that's the cutoff. For whatever reason, horror movies always get low scores, so horror movies with a B or something, maybe even a C plus, can still be good for a horror movie. And the reason why you can't trust Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, I mean, first off, there's a battle going on over the woke, you know, if a movie has anything to do with woke or anti-woke, then a whole bunch of people who never seen the movie and never will go there and give it a you know one out of ten or ten out of ten just to push an agenda and just in general it's just you know you don't know if people saw it or I don't, actually I don't know why I don't know what exactly why but those numbers are not reliable I used to think I I feel like IMDb used to be reliable back in the day but maybe it's not now but so Jesus Revolution is directed by two guys, a duo. And I mentioned, but uh, the winners of Best Director this year for Everything Everywhere All at Once was another directing duo. So there's a lot of, you know, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, that was a directing duo. There's starting to be a lot of duos making pretty successful movies lately. But so Jesus Revolution got like an A+, which, I mean, who goes and sees that movie? Christians. So if you're a Christian, you're going to think that movie is the bomb. I don't you know, I don't know. If you get a bunch of uh, Satanists to go watch it, they may, who knows, they might only give it like a B plus. But I was kind of looking at the other movies made by those guys, and they get like A's and A pluses. So they're, you know, they, they make a bunch of Christian movies you never heard of, I never heard of. And apparently they're all pretty good. You know, it's not like the, the old days. The only Christian movies I'm aware of are like really terrible ones. <laughs> but anyways, apparently these guys have been cranking out good ones. I don't know, I think for the last decade or so. 
And you know, like in the, I think it was the 60s, Christian movies were like the most successful movies, period. If, you know, uh, Spartacus, that's a great movie. Ben-Hur, pretty good too. I think they called them swords and sandals epics. You know, I guess from the late 30s to the late 60s, cowboy, you know, cowboys and Indians, that was all the rage. And then in the 60s, there was these kind of cast of thousands um, Christian movies kind of came and went. Um, we may be in the middle of superhero movies coming and going. A guy I was listening to, he's like, superheroes are out. Comic book movies, are, sorry, not comic book, um, video game movies are going to be the new thing. HBO has this Last of Us TV show that is doing, it's doing well. It's doing well. People like it. It's, you know, it's the new Game of Thrones. It ain't, it ain't the, it ain't the mega hit like Game of Thrones was at all, but it's, it's probably the closest equivalent to the new Game of Thrones. And that one's going to be interesting because the first season was based on the first game, which was made so long ago that it wasn't woke. And then I believe the second season is going to be based on the sequel video game, which came out probably the day after George Floyd was murdered or whatever. And I think it has a bunch of transgender stuff going on. So that thing's about to get woke. It already had woke stuff. It's going to get... Actually, I don't know if it can get any woker. I think they've already... It's a lot of gay stuff. But I hear it's still a good show. Um, we don't have the numbers yet, but... Um, the Mandalorian, which is the Star Wars Disney Plus TV show, um, the rumor is that it has terrible ratings. The third, the third season just came out, and it has terrible ratings. And Star Wars, you know, The Force is female is it is considered to be very, very woke. And anytime a Star Wars thing fails, that's considered a feather in the cap of anti wokeness. So who's going to win the war? I don't know, but anti wokeness is winning some battles lately in pop culture and other things. And apparently Walgreens is getting into a left-right fight. They came out with a list of 21 states where they said they would not sell um, abort abortion-related drugs. And it's a little funny because I think 18 of those states, you know, after Roe, they changed the laws and it's illegal to sell them, so that makes sense. But then they added three more states for some reason. But anyways, Gavin Newsom, king of California, he said, if you don't sell abortion drugs in those states where it's illegal, um, California will not do business with you. Now, I'm not sure if it's Walgreens or CVS, but you get the idea. And California has a $54 million contract with the company, which is, they don't care about $54 million. But anyways, they're getting pulled into, a, I don't know if it's anti-woke, you know, Anti-abortion is anti-woke. I don't know about that. But anyways, they're getting drawn into a political fight and maybe forced to kind of choose sides or whatever you choose, you're going to be, you know, you're going to piss off half of America. But I think this is good because, you know, corporations across America are super woke. I mean, they don't actually help the people, but they, they still do a lot of woke stuff that's very annoying. So any change, well, basically... If you're at maximum woke and you change your woke level, the only place to go is less woke. So Israel's having these giant nonviolent protests. Um, France is having super giant violent protests. The French president is raising the 
retirement age from 62 to 64. You know, I mean, either one of those probably sound good to an American, but people in France are not happy. France has a history of people taking to the streets over whatever, everything that they're pissed off about. And so the general public doesn't want to change the age, the parliament or whatever it is that they got over there is their democracy doesn't want to change it but then there's some little used rule that the president could just change it himself so we'll we'll see if that sticks or how that goes and i think it's because they're running out of money they don't they don't make enough money to pay for all their retirees that's the problem and they can't just borrow forever like america because america has a the world's reserve currency and also you can't just tax the rich there because i think france tried that five ten years ago and because they're part of the European Union and people can move around a bunch, the rich people just like move to the next country over like, you know, oh, I'll just move to Switzerland and not pay these giant taxes that France had levied. And I think, I think their overall tax amount taking in went down when they, they did a wealth tax, if you heard of that. And then elections in Turkey are coming up, which are interesting because they had that giant earthquake over there. So the Erdogan, who's the president, um, he was going to win, but he may not win now. People are not happy with the government's response to the earthquake. And Turkey is interesting. That's another, that's a country I'd like to learn more about. But I think like a hundred years ago, Turkey was ruled by uh, Mustafa Ataturk. Like Mustafa, I think that was the name of the, the daddy lion in the Lion King. But anyways, they were a Muslim country and... He like banned every Muslim thing and he said, we're going to be like the West. And he turned that country into whatever, kind of a Western style country, even though it was a bunch of Muslims. And I mean, you know, it didn't, it didn't become like Switzerland, a paradise. But anyways, they were doing, they were doing better and had better laws and rules and blah, blah. But then this Erdogan guy, he's been in power for maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years and the people that like him are the are the kind of the the rural backwards muslim voters and so he's been making that country more and more muslim so basically is turkey going to keep getting keep backsliding on all their western stuff or are they going to get more muslim and so that's that's what's at stake there and that that election's coming up unless they cancel it or something and i watch a Tesla YouTube channel called Now You Know. Pretty good if you like that Tesla stuff. And they get like letters from viewers around the world and they'll like read them. And so they got a letter from a person in Poland, which right now the Polish voters and the government are, are heading towards the right wing. But anyways, this person wrote in to talk about the Polish media's treatment of Elon Musk. And apparently it's just like the mainstream media in America. They the Polish media takes their cues from the left-wing people in America, and so they just look for reasons to write hit piece articles on Elon Musk, even in Poland. Let's talk about Israel, because I find that country interesting. So I like the Jews. They're interesting. Uh, I've mentioned the Ashkenazi Jews, certain kind of Jew. Um, they're the smartest people on the planet. I think their average IQ is like 113. Like, you know, it depends on, it depends on which study or whatever, but maybe like 
whites in America have a 101 IQ and then maybe Asians have a 104. So, you know, that's like about a 3% difference. Doesn't sound like much, but um, for IQ stuff, whatever, every point, it, it ain't just, Asians are not 3% smarter or, you know, better doing math is what it really is. They're not 3% better doing math than whites. They're a hell of a lot better. You probably heard of that. So just imagine how three points makes Asians good at math compared to white people. Now imagine Ashkenazi Jews, they're 12 points above whites and nine points above, above Asians. Like, it really makes a difference. It's based on the, you probably heard of the bell curve. When you have a curve that's shaped like a bell, uh, little changes sometimes can make big differences. And there you go. There's your math lesson. Hopefully you're as good as an Asian now. And there's more than one type of Jew. The, the other big one is the Sephardic Jews. I don't know if they're super smart or not. I'm just learning about them. There's also like Ethiopian Jews. Somehow Judaism went to Ethiopia, I don't know, long, long time ago. Kind of like how, you know, Christianity, you know, whatever. You got Christians in Africa, even though it didn't start there. Well, somehow they got Jews in Africa, and, and then those Jews are like, this continent's a shithole, I'm moving to Israel, and I don't think the Ethiopian Jews have a, whatever, an IQ as high as Ashkenazi Jews. We'll leave, we'll leave that one like that. But so Jews are interesting, and then now they got their country, Israel, which is interesting, but I don't think, I mean, it's interesting to me, I don't think I find it interesting just because Jews are smart, though. I mean, that helps. Doesn't hurt. And I was thinking about it and trying to figure out why they're interesting. And I think maybe one of the things is it's like they are colonialism still happening today. Like, I'm not sure the dates of cowboys and Indians, but I think somewhere around like 1860. I don't know if maybe it was like 1840 to... 1870 or something and like I subscribed to a podcast the other day called Israel Daily News and you know if I lived back in 1855 and there were podcasts somehow and I could subscribe to I don't know Arizona Daily News or you know Tombstone Daily News and you could hear about the cowboys and Indian stuff like I mean you know would you subscribe to that podcast? I would. Anyway, so it's kind of like the best thing we got, the closest equivalent that we have today. And I think I've gone over the history of Israel, who knows, five times on this podcast, but I'm still trying to get it straight in my own head, what the hell is going on exactly. And so I'm going to do it again right now. So 2,000 years ago, the Romans kicked the Jews out of Israel. Might have had something to do with, uh, you know, the beginning of Christianity. So, you know, do the Italians owe the Jews reparations for stealing Israel away from them 2,000 years ago? Or is that long enough in the past that, you know, whatever, bygones be bygones or, you know, statute, statute of limitations, you can't, you can't get nothing back. I mean, you know, it's, it's that reparations thing, like, you know blacks and whites and slavery in America, and I'm sure the Palestinians are going to be wanting reparations here at some point. We're still waiting to see if anyone ever gets much reparations. But fast forward to 
the late 1800s and Jews are living in Eastern Europe. They're living in Europe and a lot of them in Eastern Europe, like Poland, Russia. And they're getting killed. People don't like them. They get murdered a lot. And they go, you know what? We need our own country where we're in charge and no one is murdering us. And then they're like, hey, you know, the Bible or the Torah or whatever, like Old Testament era stuff, um, it says the Jews used to live in Israel. And that was their land, and they owned it. And they got, whatever, it was taken away from them. Why don't we all go back and live there? Now, of course, there were some nerf herders living there also. I mean, you know, been there for a while. There were some Jews there already, and there were some Arabs. And I think if you go back, it wasn't like, they weren't Palestinians. There was just, there was Arabs all over the place, maybe little tribes. They were kind of, some of them, a lot of them were nomadic, maybe, or maybe not, I'm not sure. It was not a bustling area, area full of people. It was not densely populated compared to most places, which I guess made it, made it a good target. So anyways, the Jews started moving there in the late 1800s, and uh, I'm not going to go into exactly what they did, but basically they, they took it over. And so then here's, you know, here's your moral question, the dilemma. I mean, the, sure, you know, spoiler alert, two wrongs don't make a right. But anyways, the Jews were getting killed, and so they moved to Israel, and then you might say, well, that's not right. And then the Jews would say, you know what, not only were we being killed, whatever, as we were moving over there, but then the Holocaust happened, and we really got murdered. You know, we had to get out of there before we got murdered. And that's a pretty good argument, the Holocaust. And that's why people like to deny the Holocaust, because it gives the Jews a lot more moral authority to go over and take over some land and create their own country because they're about to get holocausted. And I think uh, a decent chunk of Muslims in the Middle East, uh, they like to de deny the Holocaust. I believe it happened. How about you? Anyways, the Jews are good at what they do, whatever that is. Starting movie studios, for instance. And also running a country in the Middle East. And so, was it 48, 43? I don't know. In the 40s, Israel went, at war, went to war with like all the countries around it. And I think beat them. Basically, who's, you know, who's going to win a fight? A few Jews or a bunch of giant Arab countries? The answer is a few Jews. Kick their ass. And the Jews kind of, it was kind of like a ratchet where you could go one direction and tighten it, but you can't go back once it's tight. And so every time there was like a military conflict or something, the Jews would just, whatever, secure the part, the, the stuff that they wanted and the parts that they were going to live in more. But they had a part of Israel called the West Bank. You probably heard of it. And that's where a bunch of Palestinians lived. And it was kind of like maybe that would be, well, okay. So after the, I think the 48 war, one of the countries next door, the one that liked the Jews the most, was able to get along with them the best, was Jordan. And so the West Bank was run by Jordan. I don't know, I don't think it was part of, it wasn't officially part of Jordan, but Jordan was in charge of it. And the Palestinians lived there, and that went on for a while. And then for some reason in 1967, uh, all the Arab countries were like, we're, this is it. We're, it's it's going to be different this time. And so they had another war in 67 and, uh, you know, now Israel's been a country for 20 years or something and they just, they really kicked all those Arab countries' ass. And I guess they begged, I don't know, 
they beg Jordan to not join in on this. Like, whatever. Like, it's it's not going to go well for all you Arab countries. We want to remain friends with you, Jordan. And you're, you know, you're running all these Palestinians in the West Bank. Please don't attack us. But I think, like, a lot of the leaders of the countries were, they didn't care. You know, they just wanted to be rich and steal from the people that they ruled over. But... The people they ruled over really wanted to go kill all those fucking Jews. And so, you know, countries that didn't even really want to really fight Israel, like, you know, might have a revolt. The people might revolt. They'll let me steal their money, but they might revolt against me if I don't attack Israel. And so maybe something like that happened with Jordan. And Jordan attacked, and Israel's like, all right, fine, then we're taking over the West Bank. And I was listening to some guy kind of go over the history, and he's like, that's where Israel messed up. Like, even though Jordan attacked them and they beat Jordan, they should have just given the West Bank back to Jordan. And then that would be the two states. The two-state solution could have happened. Basically, the Palestinians could have their own little country and the Jews could live in the other part of Israel and then they wouldn't mix. And I think we can see now that if, if that had happened that way, the West Bank Palestinian country would be a shithole just like all the other Middle East countries. But, you know, anyways, that that part doesn't matter. It didn't happen. But so they've tried to do various two-state solutions ever since then. Um, I think under Bill Clinton in the 90s, they kind of came close. A few other times they got, I don't know, they're never that close. But, you know, sometimes they got closer than other times. But I think, long story short, the Palestinians are like, no, fuck you. Israel keeps being like, come on, just take some land, go, all you, go live in some piece of land and leave us alone. We don't want to associate with you. And the Palestinians are like, no, you stole our land. We're taking, you know, all, all or nothing from the, from the river to the sea. That would be the Jordan River, which is the east border of Israel. And so the Palestinians, they've been, you know, they like to shoot rockets into Israel and they do suicide bombing whatever they do a bunch of terrorist stuff and then you know for every couple of jews that a terrorist manages to kill then the israeli army will kill 10 bomb makers plus a couple kids will get caught caught up because the bomb makers will build their bomb making thing in the bottom of a children's hospital or something and then whatever that makes the Pal- you know palestinians they've gone through a few generations now and they're still pissed off and it's probably because, you know, kids are getting killed. Collateral damage. I mean, the Palestinians cannot fight army to army, you know, trench warfare with Israelis. So they have to, they do what they can. And then it's just, Israel doesn't like to kill kids. So it makes it, makes it harder to get the bomb makers. And so the settlers, Israelis, Jews, have been moving into the West Bank. And they've just been moving in more and more. They're like, okay, you don't, you don't want your own country. You're not going to, whatever. This is this is how it's going to be. Then we're 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 going to take over the. We're just going to go live in the West Bank, and the Jew, you know, the settlers they occasionally riot and go burn down the houses of the Palestinians, and the you know Palestinians do terrorist stuff in return, etc. So that's kind of Israel in a nutshell. I guess the morals are: Are you going to be on the side of the people who took over the land from people who were whatever just stole some land? Or are you going to be on the side of the terrorists? So that's your two options. And so the right-wing Jews in Israel have been having a lot of kids. They're outbreeding by far the secular left-wing Jews. 
and they're also outbreeding the uh, Palestinians. So they're they're taking over, and Israel is a democracy, and so it's a democracy. You know, it's just you have more kids who vote right wing means your country gets more right wing. So they're just getting more and more right wing, and they're gonna get even more right wing in the future. And right wing basically means. Settlers are going to take over the West Bank, or whatever. Settlers can go move to the West Bank. Currently, they're at 700,000 settlers to 2.5 million Palestinians in the West Bank. So, you know, at some point, and the, and the 700,000 is going up real fast. So at some point, there may be more settlers than Palestinians. And then, who knows, something may happen then. But so now, recent stuff, you know, now the stuff that's happening in the last month. Someone at Pew maybe did a poll in America. They asked Americans who they felt more sympathy for, the Jews or the Palestinians, or maybe the Israelis or the Palestinians. And I think they've been asking this question for a while, and America has a history of being sympathetic to the Israelis. But for the first time ever, um, Democrats now feel more sympathy for the Palestinians. Something like maybe 55% of Democrats feel sympathy to the Palestinians, maybe 35% towards the Israelis. Now, Republicans prefer the Jews, like they always did, although it's young people. Young people are switching from sympathy for Israelis to sympathy for Palestinians. And so if the Democrats become an anti-Israeli party, um, I don't know. I mean, Israel... The reason why Israel is like so rich and so nice and able to kick so much ass with military is because America has been supporting them and giving them weapons. We gave them nukes. It's, it's, it's on the down low. They've never admitted it. But they're like, you know, one of the very few countries in the world that has nukes is Israel because we gave them nukes. And if America starts not liking them, we'll see. You know, maybe, I mean, the, the Jews have been through tough stuff before. They'll probably get through it, but it may not be fun. They may have to go be friends with Russia or something crazy. But I think it's part of wokeness. I think uh, young people, especially young Democrats, young people on the left, um, I think it's like, you know, no one understands Israel. Like, you know, I just said what I just said there. It's taken me years to be able to say that. I mean, the first thing is, is no one likes to just break it down. Like, everyone's choosing one side or the other. So you listen to someone... And they'll just be talking all about how the Palestinians are evil. Or you listen to the next person, they're all about how the Israelis are evil. And so it's really hard to, it's really hard to tell. The only way to ever know the truth is to listen to the Anti-Woke podcast. But I think young people on the left in America, while they don't understand much, I think they're starting to get the hint or whatever. I think, I think the media and blah, blah is starting to teach them that the way to look at it is the Palestinians are like black people and the Israelis are like white people. And if you just say that to them, they're like, oh, now I know who to hate. And then there's been people taken to the streets in Israel, the Israelis, I think mostly the Ashkenazi, like hundreds of thousands, I'm not sure how many, but it's a small country, so just a ridiculously large amount of the country is going out and protesting, I think mostly peace, you know, <laughs> mostly peacefully, but actually mostly peacefully, not not the Black Lives Matter kind of mostly peaceful, where you burn people alive in their liquor store. And I think they've been protesting, well, yeah. So they've been protesting like this 
for a while because the new right-wing government that got elected, I'm not sure, two, two three months ago, um, I think everyone knew it was going to be some sort of right-wing government because the right-wingers have so many kids. And so they were already protest. They were protesting the government that was about to be there. And then when the government came in, they were protesting the government. And now they're trying to change the Supreme Court. Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu, who I think he lived a lot of his life in America. But anyways, he's the, he's in, he's the right-wing prime minister, I guess, who's in charge of uh, Israel. And so Netanyahu wants to change how the Supreme Court works. And people are really protesting, or they're really continuing the protests that they've been doing previously. And the mainstream media is like, changing the Supreme Court, that's a threat to democracy. And they're far right, and they're evil. But, I don't know, they didn't really explain it. That's, that's why I now listen to a Israel Daily News podcast, because I'm like... How is it? What what exactly is going on? Which you will not get from the normal news. They just they'll tell you which side to be on, but they don't give you any of the facts. So Israel doesn't have a constitution, but anyways, they do have they have a parliament, you know, kind of like our Congress, people that vote on stuff, and then they have a Supreme Court. And I guess parliamentary system, like we got three things, you know, Congress, President, Court, Supreme Court. They just have two, because the parliament is kind of the same thing as the president. Parliament chooses the president, so that's all one thing. But so the, the right-wing politicians and government people, they do not like the Supreme Court because it's left-wing. And like I said, I listened to an Economist podcast the other day, and they said the word democracy like 10 times in a 10-minute segment. Every time, saying that getting, you know, changing the Supreme Court or getting rid of the Supreme Court or whatever, that was a... That was all going against democracy. But anyways, the Supreme Court is not elected by the people at all. You know, you just, you, threat, it's, you know, it's like the phrase threat to democracy. What that means is your political enemies are a threat to democracy. You are protecting democracy. doesn't matter who you are or what people are doing or anything like that. Same thing as white supremacy. It's just, it's just a made-up phrase to attack your political enemies. So the unelected Israeli, Israel Supreme Court... If you change that at all, then that's a threat to democracy. Even though the people who are changing it are the ones who are actually elected in the in the democracy. I guess what it is, you know, it's really a, it's a right-wing left-wing thing now. So if the people vote for right-wing people and the right-wing people do something, that's a threat to democracy. And if no one votes for the left-wing people and they do left-wing stuff, then that's a wonderful democracy. I mean, I'm left-wing, but I do not abide horseshit. It's a bunch of horseshit. So how is the Supreme Court over there chosen? Um, I think they got, let's see, six, they got nine people. They got a group of nine people who choose Supreme Court judges. Um, Two of them come from the prime minister's cabinet. Two of them come from the parliament. So basically that's going to all be right-wing people because those are voted on by the public. So that's four people, four, yeah, four. And then two people come from the lawyers' guild whatever that is in Israel, and three people come from the Supreme Court itself. And so, basically, the lawyers and the judges in Israel are all left-wing, and they're not voted on. But basically, you get a five, five left-wingers to four right-wingers, and anyways, that's how people, people like That's how some people like it. I think they did a poll. 60% of Israelis do not want the Supreme Court changed. 
But anyways, I think in the mid-90s, someone someone passed a law, well, whatever, they passed a law in Israel, it was like called the, I think the human dignity law. And so apparently they passed laws like crazy, like 4,000 laws a year. I don't, I don't even know. But one of those laws in the mid-90s was the human dignity law. And so the Supreme Court has been using that law kind of like kind of like a constitution or a bill of rights or or the civil rights act like everything everything rolled into one and so they've been using that every time the right wingers want to do something they're like you know that's racist and they don't let them and the right wingers are tired of this and i think the current proposal is that parliament can overrule the supreme court with a simple majority so you know 50% of the votes plus 1 which the right wingers have over whatever they have 50% plus one so they'd be able able to overrule the Supreme Court every time whenever they wanted and I don't know if that's you know if that's the opening offer that the right-wingers are doing because there's gonna be a compromise later you know you you start with your maximalist position the most you could ever want so then we you know so that when you have to compromise it's still towards what you know the thing you want because I've heard I've heard other people say like yeah, well, maybe it takes two-thirds of Parliament to overrule the Supreme Court, or, you know, 80% or something like that. and Or maybe the Supreme Court, you know, slightly more than half of them are chosen by people who are elected, and then slightly less than half are chosen by unelected people. So that's where we're at. So there you go. I bet I, bet I know, you know, if you get 100 people out of them, I bet I know what I just said there will make you know more than 99 out of those 100 people when it comes to what the hell's going on with the Israel Supreme Court and all their protests. Oh, and another mantra I've heard a little bit with Israel is international law. Like I listened to a Palestinian lady, I guess she's like a Palestinian advocate on the BBC, and they had a long discussion where they were asking everyone different questions. A panel of people and when it was her turn to say something she was just like international law international law international law international law and so i think the plan for the palestinians and i this is it's a decent plan it's a decent plan uh is you know if you get america and all the european countries on the side of the palestinians then maybe you can whatever you can do you can do something to the israelis you can do something to israel and like i say they can't fight the israeli army so they got limited options that's probably one of their best options so you know maybe they can i need to learn more about south africa right they did sanctions on south africa when the whites were being mean to the blacks and so maybe whatever and then all of a sudden the blacks were in charge of the government over there so maybe Palestinians for hoping something like that. And of course, South Africa is turning into a real shithole right now. They can't keep the power on. I mean, they got problems. So you know, by the time American, by the time the American politicians don't like the Jews in Israel, they may like look over at South Africa, and go, Africa, and go, "Well, that may not be the model we want to follow." Well, that was quick. I was listening to the Death of Journalism podcast, and he watched. Tucker Carlson last week, the January 6th, turned it on its head week. He watched it, so I don't have to. And so apparently, Tucker 
His Monday show was all about how January 6th wasn't what you thought. And then Tuesday, he did half a show on it. Wednesday, he did a quarter of a show. Thursday, he did a little segment. And Friday, that was it. So, insert conspiracy theory here. Uh, he had access to 41,000 hours of January 6th footage, and that's all you get. And I mentioned in my last pod that, you know, even Republicans were telling him to shut the fuck up. And so I think he got the message. I don't know if it go. It probably doesn't go from the politician straight to Tucker. It probably goes from the politician to higher, you know, even higher up people at Fox to Tucker. And so my guess is, you know, if you're rich and powerful, the number one thing you don't want is change. But the number two thing you don't want is the possibility of some change. And I think the powers that be were like, I don't know, you know, where is this going? I don't know where this is going. I don't know what the end result of this thing will be. So why don't we just stop doing it? Because it might go somewhere we don't like. And also, I guess the, the thing he led off with... <laughs> It kind of blew up in his face a little bit. Uh, that was, this is the Jacob Chansley, the guy with the buffalo headdress, who I said, la- you know, I said in the last pod he got railroaded by the uh, by the prosecutors. Well, so <laughs> I think the, the last two little things that Tucker did on you know Wednesday and Thursday, and then stopped talking about it was he talked to the QAnon Shaman's first lawyer on Wednesday, and then his second lawyer, uh uh-oh, on Thursday. And his second lawyer said that the first lawyer just screwed everything up. Like, the government wasn't even ready to, to put the screws to him, and the first lawyer was already recommending that he take a, that he plead guilty and whatever, take it up to, you know what. You know, he's schizophrenic, I don't know. I don't know, but I think he was getting, um, public defenders like he didn't have the money to pay for a lawyer so so who knows you can you can insert a conspiracy theory there too possibly or you don't need to public defenders i think usually are crap well they don't get very much money i think they get like you know here's a thousand dollars for your case not here's a hundred dollars an hour but here's a thousand dollars total so you know you just plead it out get your get your thousand bucks and go home uh you're not incentivized to put up any sort of fight and here's the thing that sucks about our new woke overlords um they've taken up they've taken over the big law firms i mean you know who is more educated than a lawyer i mean no one except for a doctor and who's the wokest well the educated and so yeah so you know you you think of these evil law firms somehow they do it somehow well actually it makes them whatever they're evil in every way so not only are they evil law firm lawyers, you know, just like out of the movies, but they're also evil because they're so woke. And someone I was listening to was breaking it down, like, you know, remember 9-11 and then the war on terror and they were going overseas and grabbing random men with long beards and throwing them into uh, our prison in Guantanamo, that little part of Cuba that we own. Well, the biggest law firms and the, the most, you know, well, whatever, Lawyers were, like, lining up to defend those terrorists. But, anyways, times have changed with wokeness, and so, basically, no lawyers are are lining up to help any of the January 6th people because you'll get fired. You'll get fired from your law firm. 
and they get someone did a Boston Globe article. It was just it was just the Boston lawyers. It was just like Boston lawyers who uh, were like, you know, I don't know if this new Supreme Court is all that bad. Fired. Anyways, they gave a list of lawyers. Basically, got canceled. So a lot of lawyers are getting canceled if they're not well, if they're not woke. So anyways, there you go. You're gonna get the you're gonna get the you know the January 6th people are gonna get that lawyer who like comes in drunk like in the movies. Except in the movies, he used to be the best lawyer ever until that tragic episode, and then he became an alcoholic. But then in the movie, it shines through. But in real life, it doesn't shine through. All right, here's a one-sentence way to turn January 6th on its head. If January 6th is so bad, why is the mainstream media and the politicians saying that five cops were killed when zero cops were killed by the rioters? And obviously, if you put this to any of the talking heads and the politicians, they're not going to answer that because they can't answer it. But, you know, that's the true question. You know, because the answer, the answer is, it was, we want you to think it was worse than it really was. So we got to lie about it. Pretty obvious and simple. But, you know, politicians, they know how to not answer a question. They do it. I mean, that's their job. Their job is to lie and not answer questions. All politicians. You don't get hired. You don't get hired unless you lie, so that is their job. And the media just knows not to ask people who, or not to talk to people who will ask questions that they can't answer. And it looks like Fox is part of the mainstream media, so if I just stick a fork in it, it's done. Um, but but there you go. That's that that's your that's the answer. And that didn't come up from that. It was a. Uh, the Death of Journalism podcaster mentioned that, that is, that's, that's the thing that they don't want to confront, and uh, there you go. Oh, right, the January 6th commission, right? Biden, the Attorney General, the White House spokesperson, and the January 6th commission, they've all said that lie, as well as, I believe, every mainstream media outlet, you know, CNN, etc. So, you know, if you go on, C- if, if somehow CNN, they don't let right-wing people on there, but if they let a moderate on there who wants to speak the truth... Uh, you can be like, why is your outlet lying and saying that five cops were killed when zero cops were killed? And they'd be like, blah, blah, blah. You'd be like, well, tell me the dates. Tell me the dates. Oh, well, January, no, there wasn't any on January 6th. Okay, January 7th is one. February 23rd is one, you know. I mean, obviously they wouldn't answer the questions, but if you're like, what are the dates of the cops dying? It's going to be a bunch of dates that ain't January 6th. Twitter handle, at Anti-Woke Podcast, and thanks for listening.